والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ثم تردون إلى عالم الغيب والشهادة فينبئكم بما كنتم تعملون صدق الله العظيم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم Praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for having gathered us here and making us within the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and we send peace and blessings upon Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his family and his progeny and his wives and his companions and all those that followed them in their ways <coughs> this is the last week for the year right for the school year we didn't get as far as I was hoping we'll continue inshallah next in the fall <coughs> inshallah so this next name that uh, is mentioned is a shaheed now shaheed sounds like some other names as well when it comes to the meaning or how we might think of it. What does Shaheed mean? You guys know? Huh? Witness. witness, right? So Shaheed, however, in terms of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we can say the absolute witness or the universal witness. <coughs> so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says in the Quran, ثُمَّ تُرَدُّونَ إِلَىٰ عَالِمِ الْغَيْبِ وَالشَّهَادَةِ That then you will be returned to the one who, is, who has all knowledge of the unseen and that which is witnessed. Uh, so that he may inform you of what you used to do. Now, <clears throat> we understand from this, ghayb and shahada are somewhat opposite, so to speak. Ghayb is the unseen, right? So that means that shahada or shaheed gives an implication of, or it refers to those things which can be seen, right? Ghayb is unseen, invisible. So Imam Muzali, he says that it is similar to Alim and it is similar to Khabir. Do you guys remember what those names were? Alim? That one's easy, right? What was it? The knowing, right? The omniscient, the all-knowing. And Khabir was? Aware, the well-informed. Okay? The well-informed. Now, <coughs> he says that those things which are invisible comprise of what is interior, right? And those things which are visible deal with the external. So whatever is invisible is internal, whatever is, uh, so whatever is invisible is internal, whatever is visible is external. So if we consider knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, if we only consider His knowledge, then we can say He is Alim. Whereas if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if it is linked to uh, the internal, right? So if it's linked to knowledge, then Allah ta'ala is Alim. If it is linked to um, the internal, then it is khabir, right? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is khabir. So that tells us that Allah ta'ala is all knowledgeable and him being khabir gives us an idea of uh, that he knows what is hidden as well, right? Uh, however, when it's attached to the external things, that means Allah subhanahu then we get the, uh, the concept of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being shaheed, okay? So... If we look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, with his no only considering His knowledge, He's Alim. If we consider His knowledge of the internal, He's Khabir. And if we consider His knowledge of the external, it is, He is Shaheed. Okay? Now, uh, this name can also be linked 
to Allah subhanahu to the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bear witness. He will bear testimony to whatever mankind did on Yomul Qiyamah. So it can mean Allah Ta'ala is Shaheed, meaning he knows what is internal as well. Right? Or sorry, he knows what is external, right? Without having to only see it, right? So our, we are limited to what we see. We, our knowledge is based on what we see, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything. He is witnessing every single thing without being distracted from anything else, okay? However, we can say that it also could mean Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is shaheed and that He will bear testimony. Because to take shahada is to bear testimony, right? So you might be asked in a court of law that bring a shaheed, bring a witness for yourself, right? So Allah Ta'ala being shaheed, He will bear testimony. Shahada is what? When we say that we take the shahada, it, mean, it means that we have made a testimony that, Oh Allah, I bear witness that there is no God except Allah. And that the Prophet ﷺ is his last and final messenger. So we're bearing testimony, right? It's like literally like a court of law, right? And you are acting as a type of witness. Uh, so this could be linked, this name could be linked to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bearing testimony on Yawmul Qiyamah. Uh, now, what is the concept of when we talk about being uh, a witness over whatever occurs, over the different events, over the mankind? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not the only one, right? He's not the only one. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Qur'an, Kul ayyu shay'in akbaru shahada. This is in uh, regards to, um, well first so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kul say ayyu shay'in akbaru shahada. That who, which thing is superior or which thing is greater as a witness. Kul say Allah Shahidun baini wa bainakum. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a shaheed. He is a witness between me and between you. That he has, uh, he has revealed this Qur'an to me. So the Prophet is being commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Say this, that the Qur'an has been revealed to me so that I may warn you. Right? So that I may warn you and whoever this reaches, so that you may testify, so that you may testify, uh, uh, be a witness, that with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is no other deity, right? That say, I do not testify, uh, I do not bear witness that there is any other witness with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one, that there is only one deity. So this is a, a discourse between Rasulullah and the mushrikeen. That he is saying that what happened is basically the mushrikeen, they said, they wanted some type of witness, right? And so Rasulullah is being commanded that, tell these mushrikeen, are you going to call upon your deities? Are you going to call upon those stones and statues that you worship? And they're going to bear testimony for you? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will stand as a testimony between the two of us. Right? And that there is no greater uh, there's no greater one to take the shahada except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa innani bari'um mimma tushrikun and indeed I am free from that which you ascribe. Alladina atina humul kitaba Ya'rifuna hu kama Ya'rifuna abana'ahum Alladina khasiru anfusahum fahum fahum la yu'minun. and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on saying that those who were given the book before they recognize him. Who? They recognize the Prophet just as they recognize their own children. They are the ones who will wrong themselves or who have wronged themselves uh, by not believing. 
right? So what happens, there's three types of testimonies when relating, related to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the testimony of Allah is of three types, right? And it's related to this verse as well. One is that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling the people through his book, that he tells, he informs us through his book that he, has, he is the one who has sent the Prophet So within the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that he has sent Rasulullah as a messenger. Then he gives, the second type is that he gives support for Rasulullah being a messenger in a number of different ways. The greatest of being, the greatest, what's the greatest way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bears testimony? That the Prophet is the messenger of Allah. It is through the Qur'an. Right? The Qur'an is that living, it's the living miracle. That's so why when we discuss the miracles between uh, comparing the miracles of Rasulullah to the miracles of the Anbiya that were from before. One of, the, <clears throat> one of the main differences is that, for example, Musa salam he parted the sea. Right? Isa salam he cured the leper and so on and so forth. Right? However, those miracles had an ending point. Whereas the Qur'an, which is the greatest miracle of the Prophet ﷺ, has no end. It is still around and it will be in existence for all of time. Even when the whole world comes to an end, the Qur'an will still be existent. Why? Because it is a attribute. It is linked with the attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because this is from Kalamullah. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Kaleem. Right? He, is, he has this attribute of Kalam, which means to speak. Um... We've done that one, right? Yeah? No? I think we did that one. Anyway, there's a whole great discussion, a Pida discussion about Kalam, right? Anyway, uh, this was something, this was a great fitna that happened a long time ago. That there were people from the Mu'tazila, which was a, a invalid sect, a battle sect of, uh, within Islam that uh, they put the ulama and the people through a lot of persecution. And eventually they actually they actually convinced the, the rulers of the time that their methodology was correct. So they started persecuting everybody. They used to line the ulama up and ask them uh, uh, about their beliefs. One of, their main, one of the main differences, there were many differences, but one of the main differences was, was that they said that the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Qur'an is a creation of Allah. And the aqidah of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah is that, no, the Qur'an is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? There's other, there other uh, more severe differences as well but based on this this was sort of their test the Mu'tazila used to test the ulama and the people and if the ulama said no this is the word of Allah they'd be killed right they'd be whipped and lashed and beaten and they'd be killed yeah the difference is that saying it's the word of Allah means that it is pre-eternal and post-eternal whereas by saying it's the creation of Allah means that Allah Ta'ala because Allah Ta'ala doesn't have a beginning or an end it means that a point came where Allah Ta'ala made the Quran right that's the difference so Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal was probably the, the, the most prominent who stood up against this. Right? Imam Shafi he actually fled from the land to get away from this. He faced his own persecutions. But Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal he stood up and he took, you know, a lot of the ulama, they, they died as a result of this. A lot of them just said that, okay, yeah, you know, yeah, it's the creation of Allah. And then they kept teaching the people what was correct, but openly that's what they said. Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, he said, no, this is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one of his students came to him while he was in prison and said that, you know, why don't you just tell the people, just tell them that it's the word, it's the creation of Allah, then you can come out and teach us. So he went to the window and he said, look, you see all the people in the land, you and I will both know what the truth is, but they will say that Imam Ahmed said, this is the creation of Allah, and all of them will have gone astray then. 
So he took it, right, to the point where he was whipped. And the lashes, the, the whip actually broke and was lodged into his, spot, his, uh, his back, right? It's actually a beautiful story. He actually goes, you know, at the end they get a, they get a tailor to come and remove it because they didn't have a surgeon, right? So a tailor, because he's experienced with a needle, he comes and starts removing the, the whip, the broken piece of the whip from his back. And he says that every spot he asked him, he said, does this, pot, does this play, uh, spot hurt? Ahmed bin Hamad, he said that, uh, no, um, he says uh, that, um, I thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how he responded, I thank Allah. Telling that it doesn't hurt. When he reached a spot, then, then he said, uh, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for afiyah, for goodness. Then the tailor understood that, okay, this, this spot is hurting. And every time he would pinch him, he would say, Allahumma gfir lil mu'tasim. Mu'tasim was the name of the Khalifa who was having him beaten. So he'd say, Oh Allah, forgive Mu'tasim. And the tailor asked him, he said, Why? You know, this is strange. Like, I always, people always make dua against those who have harmed them. You're making dua for him. Why do you do this? He said, Because he is from the progeny of the Prophet. And I don't want that on Yawm al Qiyamah there be anything between me and any one of the progeny of the Prophet. Right? So even though he was like, Mu'adzim was in the wrong, right? He was beating him, he was an oppressor. But still, this was how they held the family of the Prophet. So, so. Right. Anyway, we went long on a long tangent. So uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives, number one was what? He, he bears testimony, he tells the people through the Qur'an that Rasulullah is the messenger of Allah. Then he gives support through various miracles, various mu'ajizat of the Prophet and the last is that he gives testimony through previously div uh, uh, divinely revealed books. So all the books that have been revealed in the past to the past nations all spoke about Rasulullah They all spoke about the last and final messenger. Right? The past Anbiya also spoke about the last and final messenger. They knew that he was coming. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that uh, 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 that what, what? Uh, those who were given the book they recognize him just as they recognize their own children. So just as you, a person knows who his children are, similarly they recognize the Prophet ﷺ in that same manner. But out of their uh, jealousy or their nafs or whatever it might have been, they chose not to follow him. So that he gave testimony. The, the past Anbiya will also bear testimony to this. Now, <clears throat> Rasulullah in one, one uh, verse of Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, that indeed we sent to you a messenger who will bear witness over you, who will be a witness against you, just as we sent to Fir'aun a messenger. This, what does this tell us? He sent a messenger to us that will be a testimony against us, just as he sent a messenger to Fir'aun. There's another verse of Quran, we'll get to that. Another verse of Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةٌ وَسَطًا That we have made, we have made you, uh, similarly, we have made you a moderate nation, a moderate ummah, a balanced ummah. لِتَكُونُوا شُهَدَاء عَلَى النَّاسِ وَيَكُونَ الرَّسُولُ عَلَيْكُمْ شَهِيدًا So that you may be witnesses against all of humanity. And the messenger will be a witness against you. So this is in Surah Al-Baqarah. This is speaking about the Qawm of Nuh But it tells us it's not specific only to the Qawm of Nuh What's going to happen on Yawm Al-Qiyamah? Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala will gather all the people and He will have 
the different, the, the different ummas or the people who the Anbiya were sent to will be standing behind those Anbiya. Some of them will have many different, right? Some of them will have huge ummas, right? The second largest being Banu Israel, the ummah of Musa al-Islam. And the largest being Rasulullah's ummah. Uh, some messengers will have nobody. Not a single person will have followed them. Right? Some people will have, you know, in all varying numbers. So Nuh al-Islam, his ummah will be asked, why, is it, why does the Quran spent, mention Nuh al-Islam's ummah specifically here? Because his qawm was the first that went astray. They were the first people that went astray. Right? So there were people, there were individuals who went off track before, but not in his, as an entire nation. Right? So we talk about like the sons of Adam al-Islam. One of them, he didn't stop, he didn't stop worshipping Allah. He just, he sinned, right? He killed his brother. Okay, but he didn't stop worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Qawm Nuh was the first qawm, was the first ummah that completely went astray and stopped believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the qawm of Nuh in, uh, in these verses. That the Nuh will be brought forward and he will be asked in front of everyone that did you deliver the message? And Nuh will say, yes, I delivered the message. Then he will, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask the ummah of Nuh did he deliver the message? And they'll say, no. Nobody ever came to us. We had no warner that ever came to us and told us anything. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask Nuh do you have anyone to bear witness on your behalf? Now Allah Ta'ala doesn't need to do this. He already knows, right? And it's his messengers anyway, right? So he, he will ask, do you have anyone to bear witness? What will Nuh say? He'll say that, yes, I have the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa I have the ummah of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa so the people asked that, how do you have them? They came after us. They, weren't, they didn't bear testimony. And the ummah of the Messenger وسلم, will stand up and say, because we had the Qur'an. And the Qur'an told us the truth. So definitely, Nuh spoke the truth. Yeah. Yeah, so there's different levels, right? So we will stand testimony against the, against the past nations. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says what? He also says, uh, and the messenger will stand witness against you as a witness. So we will stand testimony against past nations when they lie about their messenger. And when, we, when it's our turn and we say, no, this didn't happen, no, I didn't, no, no, this was not told to me, Rasulullah Sallallahu will stand testimony against us. Right? Yeah. So, so, I mean, in a nutshell, I mean, they were the first that went astray, right? And it shows, um, it's not the only time this lesson comes, but they, there's a lot of lessons to be taken out of it. One is that Nuh made, made da'wah for 950 years, and he got 80 followers. That's it, 80 followers, right? So it tells us that we should have patience. It tells us that we should keep doing, making the effort. It tells us that success is not in the numbers, even honestly, like, and you know, you guys in your MSA Dawah work and whatever else you do, if one person is affected, if one person becomes Muslim or one person becomes a better Muslim, it's all worth it, right? Oftentimes we get caught up with how many people came to the event, how many people were affected. Maybe a lot of people come to the event, but nobody is really affected by it, right? And one person who gets a flyer at a, you know, Dawah booth or something becomes Muslim, right? You never know, like 10 years later they might, right? That whole person, every good he does then will go into your account, right? So... Uh, also, we learned that, um, that it's not up to us to guide, right? It's up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
you know? And so what happens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Nuh who believes? His children come with him, but one of his sons does not. One of his sons climbs the mountain and says, no, when it's, it's flooding, <laughs> Nuh calls him, he says, look, the whole world is going to be consumed by a flood. Then, you know, come with, come with me and, and believe in Allah. He says, no, I'll be okay. I'm going to climb the mountain. And as the mountain starts drowning, he goes higher and says, no, I'll be okay, I'll go higher. So this shows like the, the, the nafs of an individual, uh, what level it can reach in denial. And then Allah Ta'ala addresses Nuh Alayhisam. Nuh Alayhisam says that, oh Allah, you said that my family would be saved. And Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala tells him that he is not from your family. Your family are those that believe. Right? And there's a lot of other lessons that can be taken as well. Um, also we learn that, you know, when a nation rejects the messenger, then that's when a nation is seized, right? That's when a nation is seized. Also, where did Nuh Alayhisam start building his, his ark? He didn't build it in the water. He was the first one to build a ship. There was no ships before him, right? So there's a few things, there's a couple of different inventions that, that we use that are, were actually made from the Anbiya. So one was Nuh Alayhisam with his ship. Uh, the other was iron with Dawud Alayhisam, right? Um, anyway, he started building his ship on land, totally away from the water. And people asked him, what are you doing? What is this contraption? So he told them, they laughed at him, they mocked him. And then when the flood came, it was in water, right? So a lot of different lessons to be taken from it. Um, uh, anyway, so yeah, we don't have it easy, right? Like we have to, the, the Qur'an will also do your testimony against us, right? There's hadith also narrating that the, uh, the Messenger وسلم, will, will bear testimony against us if we try and lie our way out of it. There's no lying on that day, <laughs> right? Like you're not going to get out of anything, right? But what can we take away from this idea of shaheed, of testimony? There's a couple of stories. <coughs> Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, he was once traveling with his, some of his companions, some of the companions of Rasulullah And they came upon a child. Right? They came upon a child who was a shepherd. And he had a whole bunch of sheep. So they offered him some water and he said, no, I'm fasting today. So they were surprised, like, hey, this is a young boy and he's fasting. Look at how much taqwa he has. You know, it's not Ramadan, he's fasting. So they tested him and they said, why don't you give us one of your sheep? He said, no, these aren't my sheep to give. So they, they asked him, they said, okay, don't worry, like somebody will, you can easily say that, you know, well, a sheep got away. So he asks immediately, he says, what about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And he runs away. So he felt like they're testing me, they're tempting me to do bad, and he runs away. Abdullah bin Masood was so touched by this boy's taqwa that he bought the whole flock of sheep from the, uh, the owner and he gifted it to this child. Right, so what happened? This child understood, yeah, this, I could just say a sheep got away. It happens, right? Sometimes a wolf comes, sometimes a sheep runs off. It happens. You know, we used to, in Madrasa around, around Eid al-Adha time, they used to bring a whole bunch of sheep into the school. And they used to sell them off for people wanting to do their qurbani. And once in a while, like they would usually funnel the sheep, like you just put up a railing and they'd come off the truck and they'd go into the pen. But once in a while, someone would move, there'd be an opening, the sheep would take, take off. And everyone would start running after it, right? Sometimes they just run, <laughs> run, make a run for it, right? Uh, but he was, what happened is he understood that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is shaheed. Allah ta'ala is watching. Allah ta'ala knows what's going on. And then the famous story of Umar radiallahu anhu, who what, he used to make his night patrols, right? In the nighttime, he used to walk the streets of Medina Munawwara, see if anyone needed anything. Uh, <coughs> And a lot of interesting events happened during his night patrols. One such event was he was tired and he sat down and he rested against a house. 
So he overheard the conversation from inside that uh, of a mother and daughter. And the mother was saying that uh, they were filling milk, right? They had all this milk that they had taken out from their sheep. And they were going to sell it the next day in the market. So the mother says, you know, why don't you fill up half the bottle and, with the milk and the other half with water? Instead of the whole bottle, like if we have 10 gallons of milk, right? You're going to give out 10 gallons, okay. But if we fill half the bottles with water, that'll be 20 gallons of liquid we're giving out. No one will really know the difference. And we can make more money for the amount that we have. So her daughter says, no, no, we can't do that. That's not upright. That's, that's lying. So the mother says, what are you afraid of? Omar al-Nano is not around. She didn't know he's sitting there listening to all of this, right? She says, no, Omar is not around. So we'll get away. The daughter says, what about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Is Allah ta'ala not watching us? Is he not, is he not a witness over us? So Omar radiallahu anhu, he then went back home. The next day he gathered his children. He said, look, you know, I came across a very pious girl. And I don't feel like getting married anymore. Otherwise, I would have married her. I would have proposed to her. But what about one of you? So one of his sons, Asim, he, decide, he says, yeah, I'll marry her. So he gets married to this girl. And then from them, from their progeny, their great-grandchild was Umar bin Abdul Aziz, who is the, fir, uh, the first renewer of the deen, right? There's a hadith that every hundred years, at the turn of every century, there will be a renewer of the, of the ummah. Umar bin Abdul Aziz was the first renewer of the ummah, right? And he spent, he was a short, short reign, but he spent most of it, you know, taking the haq back from Banu Umayyah, the wrong that Banu Umayyah had done the property they had stolen, the different things they had done, he took that and started giving it back to the people, right? Amongst other things as well. So this is the concept of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being shaheed. We have to recognize that Allah ta'ala is shaheed, recognize that He's watching us. It's mentioned that a person who does wrong things whilst knowing that it is wrong, and we're just having a hard time breaking away from it, we should, we should uh, recite this name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Shaheed, you know, in abundance. And inshallah, that'll have an effect on us, giving us strength and, uh, to change our ways. Right now also, you know, uh, <clears throat> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in another verse, That we have, sent, we have sent to you for the people a messenger. Or we have, sorry, we have sent you, we have sent you, O Messenger of Allah sallallahu to the people as a messenger. And Allah ta'ala is sufficient as a witness. You know, as, as like we go through life, people are going to mock us, right? For religiosity, for trying to have taqwa. It's going to be a regular thing, right? It's a regular thing. And it gets difficult. It gets tough sometimes. People constantly making fun of us, mocking us, ridiculing us. There's a hadith of Rasulullah that he says that this deen came into the world as a stranger. And it will also at the end times be a stranger. So glad tidings, tuba lil Glad tidings to the strange, to the strangers. That when Islam first came about, everyone looked at it like it's weird, and they didn't want to follow it because it seems strange. And at the end of times, Islam will also be viewed in the same way. But so glad tidings to those who are seen as the strangers, for you sticking to your iman, for you sticking to your faith, sticking to the sunnah of Rasulullah there will be glad tidings for you because it's difficult. It's very difficult. And when the people mock you, then we know that the Messenger of Allah was also mocked. And so we take from this verse, وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ شَهِيدًا They will say, you know, people will say all kinds of things. Muslims will say all types of things 
that would actually result in kufr and disbelief. But because of ignorance and jahala being so dominant in society, we have to excuse them. Right? Sometimes you literally have to bite your tongue from informing them of the truth because they're not at that level where they're going to believe. And so they're going to, like, you know, like we, we have discussions. And people will literally talk about things that are clearly established in the Quran, like the virgin birth of Isa Islam, and say, this is not possible. Can a, can a child be born in this manner? It's impossible. I, I can't believe this. Muslims will say this. This is, you're denying a text of Quran, right? It's disbelief, right? We should warn that individual and say, look, these things are mentioned in the Quran, clearly. If we don't understand it, and it's easy for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala anyway. And regardless, it's possible anyway. Like medicine has actually, science has actually said that it's possible. A woman's body can actually find a way to do it, <laughs> right? Yeah. There are a lot of metaphors in the Qur'an, right? We should be weary of people who only, uh, only interpret literally, and we should also be cautious of people who only interpret metaphorically. There's a combination of the two in the Qur'an. But this is we have to learn from the ulama. Uh, it's clearly mentioned, right, through different ahadith uh, and teachings of Rasulullah and the Qur'an, the tafsir and whatnot. Uh, you know, what is absolutely clear and decisive is, is, is very clear. Other things, yeah, could have a metaphorical interpretation and could have a literal interpretation. But things like this are, are very clear. And those things are, um, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said that there are verses that are completely clear in the Quran, right? The muhkamat. And there are those that are from the mutashabihat, those which are ambiguous. And we shouldn't delve into the ambiguous affairs. Um, but we have to learn, right? The books of Aqidah, the, the scholars, we look at what the Sahaba said and what they taught, right? I mean, there, there actually are tafasir of Ibn Abbas and stuff like that around too, right? There's like remnants of it, right? But we have the unbroken chain, right? The ulama who have the unbroken chain going back to the Messenger Wasallam, that's what informs us of what is so clear. Like that, right, so the ulama have given fatwa these days that because there's so much ignorance, because there's so much ignorance, we'll, we just give them a warning and we excuse them and don't even delve into the discussion with them, right? And usually people are like agitated and it's, it's just, it's not even like they don't want to believe, it's that they don't want to be wrong. So they'll push their way because they don't want to be wrong. They don't want to admit that they're wrong. So then we can try to find another time to inform them and, and stuff like that, right? Um, so, you know, we refrain from just saying, oh, this is kufr and you're a kafir now and stuff like that, right? We refrain from that um, and try to teach them. I mean, typically what the ulama do is they will say like, they will try two or three times to inform and teach the individual. And if they are still adamant on it, then they'll say, look, you know, there's great consequences for having this belief and we should refrain from speaking about these things, you know, if we don't understand, right, from making a judgment on it. And kind of leave them at that, you know, kind of leave them at that. That's typically the way of the ulama, you know, yeah. Right, that's a good question. So, shaheed is a martyr, right? So, the shuhada are the martyrs. So, why, how does that make sense that these people are the shuhada? Like, why, why is a person who's martyred in the name of Islam a, considered a shaheed? And there's huge discussions on it. What the possibilities, why have they been termed as shuhada, as the shaheed? Um, some of the reasons, you know, a short list of it is basically like, sometimes it could be because they are shown their place in Jannah. It could be because 
they die, and so now, and yet they are alive in their graves. Therefore, they bear testimony. They will bear testimony and be a witness for the truth of what the Messenger taught, right? Or that they gave their life in in defense of Islam. So it's as though they were uh, standing up as a witness for the truth of Islam, and that's what pushed them to give their life for it. There's a lot of different uh, different things, right? Um, that in their graves they are a, uh, bearing testimony to the truth of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, to Jannah and, and this and that. Uh, yeah, that's the discussion that's mentioned in some of the books. Right, so there's, as we mentioned, like there's going to be difficulties, right? People will mock you and people will make fun of you. And a lot of times we just have to stay quiet and know, وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ شَهِيدًا, right? Sometimes you're not going to win the argument. And it's not because you don't have the proofs. It's because a person just doesn't want to believe, <laughs> right, in what you're saying. Right? And this is, I'm talking about a discourse between like, Muslim to Muslim. They just don't want to accept what you're saying. Right? They'll make fun of you, they'll mock you for hijab, they'll mock you for the sunnah, they'll mock you for all these different things. So just take comfort. وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ shahida. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sufficient. This person doesn't accept the truth. Well, I know the truth and Allah ta'ala is sufficient for me. He will bear testimony. Right? That, that's how we have to take some of these difficulties that come upon life. You know? Yeah. Um. So you said before that question, um, the, like, that conversation with the person who's saying it's a metaphor or whatever, how many if you, like, want but technically, see, what's, what's, what constitutes disbelief is to deny a verse of Qur'an, right? Um, there's certain things that if they say it's a metaphor, they're not denying the verse, right? They're not denying the verse. So if they're not denying the verse, then they're in a dangerous state. When it's something clear like that, it's a very dangerous state to be in. But it's enough that we can say, like, if they died like this, we can still bury them as a Muslim, <laughs> You know what I mean? Because they're, I mean, it's a dangerous state because this is, right? What, what is those things which are firmly established in Aqidah? We don't establish points of Aqidah based on what's called Khabr Wahid, right? Khabr Wahid meaning like one narration for it. Those points of Aqidah is, are, are related to those things which are mutawatir, right? Those things which have an, an ijma, right? Those things which have so much proof for it. There's absolutely no denying it. There's no way the ummah could have erred on it. There's no way the people could have gathered to lie about it. That's what the points of aqidah are, are based on, right? Um, and so that's why when it comes to something like Isa Islam's virgin birth, I mean, it's, it is absolutely clearly mentioned in the Quran, right? And if you want to say it's a metaphor, then what's your proof for that? We have to speak with Dalil, right? There has to be a proof for that. But just yeah. like what, what would be the difference? That it's a metaphor. So it, it, <clears throat> the difference of whether somebody believes it in their heart or whether they believe it or, and say it on their tongue, when they say it on their tongue, then, then we can make it, then it allows us to make a judgment, right? So this specific answer, Allahu Alam, how, how would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala view them? In the past, definitely the ulama would have said this is absolute kufr, right? This is absolute disbelief. Um, but nowadays, like I said, because there's so much jahalat and ignorance, the ulama have taken a little bit of a more relaxed view on it. So just like when it comes to somebody bearing testimony to being Muslim, then 
if they believe it in their heart, they're Muslim, but we, don't, we might not know about it. Whereas if they say it with their tongue, then we can testify on their behalf. We can you know, give them the rights as a Muslim and stuff like that, right? Um, and if they say it on their tongue but don't believe it in their heart, then what can we do? We can't say, oh, well, in their heart, that's not, you know, in our heart. And it's not for us to decide what's in their hearts, right? So just in general, like saying something versus not saying something, the only difference is like how other people react to it. It's not like it doesn't affect you. What do you mean you? Like the Who's person themselves. The person? Uh, well, I mean, it could, like, when, if it's a belief in their heart and it's something that constitutes disbelief, then that's between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah ta'ala can take them to task for it, you know what I mean? Like, we can't take them to task. But if I, have, if, I, if I was to truly believe in my heart, for example, that, you know, na'udhubillah, Allah ta'ala doesn't exist, right? And I never said that to anybody. Then Allah ta'ala still knows and He'll deal with me and Yom Al-Qiyamah, He'll treat me as though I didn't believe, right? Even though outwardly, right? That's what the munafiqeen at the time of the Messenger Sallallahu were. Outwardly, they professed Islam. They came to the masjid, they made their salah, they paid their zakat, they did everything. They fasted Ramadan. Allah, if they fasted or not, they could have snuck, snuck something, you know? But <clears throat> outwardly, they seem Muslim. But Allah Ta'ala knew that they weren't. And so he divulged a list to the Messenger of those who were the munafiqeen, those who right, were hypocrites. And hypocrites, when we talk about the hypocrites of the time of the Messenger Sallallahu that doesn't mean a person doesn't practice what he preaches, right? That's how we view the term hypocrite these days. But... The munafiqeen of that time were somebody who outwardly professed Islam but inwardly had no belief. Right. But some of these things, yeah, like they're very clear and to deny that is, is, is disbelief, right? To say it's a metaphor, okay, like maybe we can make a way out for an individual, you know, and give them their rights as a Muslim and stuff. You know, like certain rights, like maybe they're, you give them zakat, you give them a certain type of burial, you, you know, these types of things, right? Yeah. So for some things in, like, in the Quran, like some things that are like, So we can go and get clarity, go to the ulama and ask them for clarification, right? But you see, we're living in a time where we try and equate everything to science. So if it doesn't scientifically make sense at this point in time, we don't want to believe it. We say, no, it's too difficult to understand. That can't be what it means. And that should not be our approach, right? Because there's certain things. Science is always changing, right? They're constantly changing their conclusions, certain things they haven't discovered yet, right? Um, uh, so we can go and ask for clarification. And like I said, if it's clearly mentioned in the Quran, right, then, you know, you can... then. then be content with saying like I just don't understand this now and maybe you know science hasn't come to that conclusion yet right but if we firmly stick to what science says science changes then we're stuck right you know so there are certain verses in the Quran there is actually ulama of the past that have said the earth is flat right earth is flat and the uh, the sun rotates around the earth right you won't really find many people who are going to say that now what does the Quran say about it there are certain verses that can give an indication of both it doesn't firmly mention in the Qur'an one way or the other, right? It doesn't firmly mention one way or the other. Now, it seems that, yeah, this, the earth is, obviously, the, you know, the earth is round, like that's been, we, we've seen that, and it, the earth is going around the sun. Okay, so that's not contradictory to the Qur'an, right? But also, if it was established then that, no, actually, the sun is going around the earth, that's also not contradictory to the Qur'an, right? The Qur'an talks about how all of these things move in their orbit, and that's basically what the Qur'an mentions, 
that all these different, the sun and the moon and the earth, they move in their in orbit. That's what the Quran mentioned. So what does that mean? You know, does it specifically state that one is going around the other? No, it doesn't, right? So there is room for like science and stuff like that, but there are things that, yeah, like for example, the, the birth of Isa alayhi virgin birth. That's mentioned clearly, right? So, like, if it doesn't make sense to us, well, we have to understand who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And just like He created Adam alayhi well, He can create Isa alayhi He can create a child, you know? I mean, there's been people, there's been people who, a friend of mine, he told me that his friend uh, and, and wife got a surgery done so that the wife could not expect anymore. She could not get pregnant. And then she got pregnant. Right? Like, surgery was done. It's done, it's taken care of. What happened? Her body actually grew. Those parts that were cut and tied, whatnot, her body actually grew it. And she got pregnant again. <laughs> you know? It's easy for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? It's easy for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why we have to reserve comment. We have to reserve opinion um, when we are not sure of the answer. Right? Right? So those things that are firmly established are firmly established. Those things that could go one way or the other, we, we can say what it seems to be, but then we say Allah Alam, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is best. Right? That's the that's the shield of the ulama, right? To say because the layman is never demanded to give an answer. Right? The ulama sometimes you have to give an answer because like it's just necessary. But the answer is not necessarily known. So your your shield is to say Allahu Alam. Or I don't know. That's the other shield. Right? Those are like the two arms. You know? <coughs> So we, we got a little bit more than halfway through. Um, but uh, like he mentions for Shaheed, he says, you know, it's, he doesn't go into detail about uh, Alim, uh, about, him, about his knowledge and his being aware because he says that it's already been mentioned so there's no sense in repeating it. If you look through it, most of the rem remainder of the book is pretty short. Like each name, sometimes there's two names and it's a one paragraph. You know, so inshallah next year, Allah give us life, we'll continue and we can finish the book in the first quarter inshallah and then we can start with something else so there was um, we did we did al-wadud a few a couple weeks ago what was al-wadud you guys remember al-wadud huh the one who loves right the one who loves so we mentioned that who is the most worthy of being loved Right. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first and foremost and the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he mentions this is a book by Imam Shafi'i it's called the Diwan al-Shafi'i it's a book of poetry and he has some poems in here about love for the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam love for <coughs> love for the family of the prophet so time is short we won't like read the Arabic for all of it. The Arabic is beautiful though. He says that love for the Prophet Sallallahu noble family. My heart is filled with pain and grief and I am in a strange state of sleeplessness. Is there anyone to take my message to Hadith Hussain even though there are many who don't approve? He, like many who don't approve, right? Who like the Khawarij, right? And Banu Umayyah, right? Much of Banu Umayyah. They were the ones, they were, the, some of their leaders were responsible for the massacre. At Karbala, right? They were responsible, right? Um, so that's who he's talking about. He has been martyred mercilessly as if his shirt has been colored purple, referring to blood. The swords are sad for being misused. The spears are screaming and the horses, instead of neighing, are lamenting wildly. 
The world was shaking with pain for the noble family of Nabi wasallam, and it seemed that the deaf mountains were going to melt. The stars had stopped twinkling, the constellations were trembling, the veils had been bared, and garments had been torn. How strange it is that salutations are sent upon the Hashemite Prophet whilst war is being waged against his progeny. If loving the family of the Holy Prophet is my sin and fault, then I don't see myself repenting from such a sin. When the terror and fright of the Day of Judgment will become unbearable, they will support me. I think we don't speak enough about the love of the family of the Prophet Love of the Prophet is obvious. But love of the family of the Prophet is not spoken about enough. Another, <coughs> he says, Alun Nabi Dariati, Wahumu Ilehi Wasilati, Aruju Bihim Uta Ghadan, Biyadil Yamini Sahifati. The noble family of the Prophet is my intermediary in reaching him. I hope that because of my love for them, I will be given my book of deeds in my right hand. There's a book, I mentioned it, and I found out it's actually been translated. It's called Ash Shifa. It was written by a great Maliki jurist, Qadi Iyad. It's been translated. If you want makkahbooks.com, it's about the Messenger, وسلم, right? Uh, and I haven't gone through all of it, but um, I'm sure he talks about the family of the Prophet وسلم, as well. Right? There's others as well. But you think about this. You know, the family of the Prophet, وسلم, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, some people get all freaked out that you're raising the Messenger وسلم, to a too high of a level. Some people freak out about that, right? There's other poems also he talks about in here. And the fact of the matter is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given the Messenger وسلم, the highest maqam. What does that mean? Yeah, sometimes there, are, there might be people who go into worship of the Messenger وسلم, and that obviously is extremism and that's wrong, right? And that's shirk. Anything short of, of raising the Prophet وسلم, to the level of Allah, anything short of that is in the right of the Messenger وسلم. Right? Because there's a verse of Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I can't remember that right now, but there's a verse of Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about pleasing Allah and pleasing the Messenger. Right? So the, 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 um, the particle that he mentions after he mentions Allah and his Messenger, right? So Allah, one, the Messenger, second. Okay? In the same verse, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about pleasing them, he says, They are most rightful that you please him. They are more, most rightful that you please him. The, uh, the particle who is used, which denotes singular. It should have been huma, that they are most rightful that you pray, that you please the two of them. Okay? That's what it should have been. But Allah Ta'ala doesn't use the particle for the dual. He doesn't bring it in the dual form. He brings it in the singular form. Showing that being, that almost showing that Allah and the Messenger are one. I'm not saying they are actually one, right? That they're actually one individual and that we worship the Messenger But you guys understand the literary beauty here. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing us the, the status of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Right? So anything short of divinity to the Prophet sallallahu is, the Prophet sallallahu is worthy of it. Now when it comes to the family of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi one of my teachers, you know, he, he told us, because in the hadith books it's mentioned, the, the status of the family of the Prophet sallallahu so one of my teachers, he taught us Bukhari, he mentioned, he said that, you know, you have a lot of people who lie about being from the family of the Prophet And it happens a lot in, in Pakistan, India. And the reason for that is because people had their, their shajara, right? They had their family lineage, like, documented out. 
they had it physical copy. But when Pakistan was created, you had, it was the largest migration, single migration of any one people from one land to another at one time. That when the people left India and started going towards Pakistan. And it was crazy, right? There was like a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of, you know, killing that happened. There was a lot of fires and burning things down. Things were destroyed. People literally had to take what they could on their backs and, and run, make a run for it, right? And like sneak their way over because it was crazy. So a lot of documentation was lost as a result of this. Not only documentation, but a lot of things were lost. It allowed people to just say that documentation was lost, and I'm from the family of the Prophet Now, the family of the Prophet should be loved. It should be shown respect, right? There's a hadith that uh, Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, he came out of the he came out of like the masjid or something. He came out of some area, and Abdullah bin Abbas, who's from the family of the Prophet he steps out. And he, he takes the camel, the reins of the camel, and he stands there to help Abdullah bin Masood get on it. So Abdullah bin Masood, he says, no, no, why, why are you doing this? You know, you are from the, uh, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing this for me, because I'm a nobody. Out of his humility, Abdullah bin Abbas, he said, you are a scholar from amongst us. And this is how we should treat the scholars, with respect. So Abdullah bin Abbas, he takes his hand and he kisses his hand. He kisses the, ha the hand of Abdullah bin Masood, uh, sorry, Abdullah bin Abbas. And then he says, and you are from the family of the Prophet ﷺ. This is how we should treat the family of the Prophet ﷺ. So my teacher once mentioned, he said, you know, a lot of times people, they, you know, you show someone respect and say, this person's a Sayyid. This person's from Ahlul Bayt, from Ahlul Bayt, right? Ahlul Bayt, Alif, Ha, Lam. This is direct lineage through Fatima radiallahu anha and Ali radiallahu Ahlul Bayt is the rest of like Banu Hashim, right? So people from Jafar radiallahu Ali's brother, People from Ali Radna after Fatima Radna passed away, he got married to other women and he had children. So that lineage, right? People from Abbas Radiallahu Anhu, those are Alul Bayt, right? So the third surah of the Quran is Al Imran, right? So it's basically Alul Bayt is direct line to the Prophet Al is with from the tribe of Rasulullah Banu Hashim, Banu Abdul Muttalib. So when you try to show respect, then sometimes people say, "Oh, you know, what are you doing? You shouldn't do that. This is bid'ah and this and that." Right? They're totally like. They don't know. And sometimes they'll say, well, how do you even know that this person really is from the family of the Prophet So my teacher, he once, he told us a story. He said that there was a woman who was asking for help, right? And she would say that I'm from the family of the Prophet Can you help me? Can you help me? One individual she goes to, he says that, what's your proof? What's your dalil? What's your proof? He doesn't give her anything. That night he has a dream. And it's like Yom Al-Qiyamah and the Messenger is there. And, and Rasulullah is taking his ummah into Jannah and this person comes and says, Ya Rasulullah, I'm from your ummah. And Rasulullah turns to him, he says, what's your proof? <laughs> right? Now dreams are not a, they're not a delil for us, but lesson can be taken and it gives us a lesson. I mean, it's, this is a reality, right? So this person woke up in the morning and he freaked out and he found the woman and like he gave her everything, right? Like whatever he could. So my teacher said, look, if a person says that they're from the family of the Prophet they are, you have to show them extra respect. Uh, if you, if they're not from the family of the Prophet, if they're lying, right, or they don't have proof for it, is it going to harm you to show them extra respect? It's not going to harm you in the least. But if they are, right, showing respect to everyone is good, right? Out of your love for the Messenger Sallallahu and his family, you show them respect, extra respect, even if they're wrong. That's still going to go into your account. Fine, they'll be, you know, they'll be accountable for lying, but that's not between you and them, right? It doesn't cause you any nuqsan, it doesn't cause you any harm any deficiency in showing respect. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-wadud. 
We cannot expect to enter Jannah without having love for, the, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, love for the Messenger وسلم, and love for the family of the Prophet Right? This is actually something we should speak about more. Right? There's actually there's a lot of poet, a few extra poems in there. He speaks, continues speaking about. You guys read like the, the different molids and stuff like that. Right? People freak out. Molid is that you know bidah and this and that. It's poetry for the Prophet What's what's bidah in that? Didn't he have his own poet? He had. There was a poet of the Prophet, right? And he would call him and stand on my mimbar and, and respond on my behalf. Wars were settled in Arabia by poets. <laughs> so sometimes a poet would come from, a, from another land and he would, you know, they'd have like a little rap battle, right? And he'd give his line of poetry or something and the Prophet would call upon uh, uh, Zayd and say, you know, go, go respond on behalf of the Messenger <laughs> and he would respond, you know? There is a story that my teacher was telling us everyone has their part to play, you know? So uh, the, the, the poet of the Prophet Zayd he one time they're out in battle and you know they had the, so the men are out in battle most of the women are, are back in the tents getting ready to wound, uh, help the wounded and stuff and the poet of the Prophet is sitting back he's not fighting in the battlefield so one of the women she comes to him and she says look I see one of these one of the Romans she says I see him coming he's sneaking around and he's going to try and take all of us right captive Go and do something about it. He says, look, if I could do something about it, I would have been on the battlefield, right? So she takes a, uh, she takes a post and she goes and she whacks the guy in the head and she kills him, right? So people think, oh, yeah, you know, what was he wasn't man enough or something like that. But when armies, when the Muslim armies were getting, were afraid and they were about to lose their battles and they were about to flee from the battlefield, he stood and he... He gave such beautiful poetry about the Prophet ﷺ and about Islam that it brought the Sahaba to tears and they turned back around and they held firm. And those Tabi'een that were amongst them, they held firm and they turned around, right? They turned around and they stayed there. So everyone has their part to play. Sending extra salawat on the Prophet ﷺ, we should have a habit of sending at least a hundred salawat on the Prophet in the morning and the evening. Every day, we should make it our habit. On our way to school, on our way back from school, try to sit, you know, a little bit and just do it, right? Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadi wa ala Sayyidina Muhammadi wa barik wa sallam. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the shortest durood, right? It's the shortest. You can do that. Suffices also, right? Reading the different uh, poetry, the, the burda is beautiful, you know? The burda, he speaks about crying tears of blood, you know? And that's actually possible, right? People, like, they can actually get a, a sore in their eye and, and it bleeds. They can actually cry tears of blood. This is, you know, what the people, how much love they had for the Prophet You guys know the story of the Burda? There's two stories of the Burda. One was that there was a poet in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, and he, uh, he used to recite poetry against the Messenger ﷺ. When he became Muslim, then he, uh, he felt bad, he felt remorse. So he went and he recited poetry for the Prophet And when he would finish, Rasulullah would say, recite more. And he would recite more. And he'd say, recite more. And he'd recite more. Recite more. And he'd recite more. In praise of the Messenger Until Rasulullah got up and he took off his burda. Burda is the cloak, right? So he took off his cloak and he draped it around this individual out of his approval. That's one story of the burda. The other story is uh, Imam al-Busayri. Not Basri, Busayri. He got paralyzed. He was paralyzed. And he <coughs> was sitting, laying on his bed. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't really move. 
he wrote the, what, the famous burda of today that, that is known and passed down and, and, and sung and recited. He conducted that. He composed it. And then he fell asleep. And in his dream, the Messenger وسلم, came to him <coughs> and laid down, laid a shawl, laid a burda down on him and said, go, you are cured. When he woke up in the morning, it was actually physically there on him and he was cured. Right? So these are there. People don't want to believe it. Oh, these are just like Sufi stories and this and that. These are realities. So many people have reported these things. Right? And we don't do it to, so that some karama, some miracle happens. The miracle is loving the Messenger وسلم, That's the miracle. Right? That's especially in today's time. That is the greatest. Like we talk about the miracles of the awliya and this and that. The greatest miracles are performing salah on time these days. Right? <laughs> right? Never missing a salah. This is a miracle today. Loving the Messenger وسلم, despite everything that is going against Rasulullah Sallallahu everything that's being said against Muslims, against Islam, loving the Messenger Sallallahu right? So many ahadith about love of the Ahlul Bayt also. Rasulullah Sallallahu speaks, you know, he said what? Right, there's one, there is one narration where he says, you know, I leave for you the book of Allah and my sunnah. There's also a narration that he says, I leave for you the book of Allah and my family. Right? So these narrations are there. We have to love the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and we have, to, we have to love his family. We have to have respect for his family. It's absolute, it's like our iman is tied to it. <laughs> you know? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq. If we do this, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will see His being wadud manifest in our life as well, inshaAllah. Allah ta'ala give us tawfiq. Any questions? <coughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's plenty. In Seattle, everywhere. Oh wow. I know, I know people that literally have their, I've seen it, they have their shajra, they have their line going back to the Prophet in Seattle. I, I, I'd like Google it and then be like, oh, it's way too like, branched out, you can't really find those people. No, people have it. People have it. And the thing is that they don't usually, the Sayyids usually won't share, they won't post their shajras online and stuff like that because people will steal them. <laughs> Because there's so much honor due to them, right? So much respect, they will steal them, you know? Like people will steal them, right? So they usually don't, they usually don't display it. They might show it to you or something like that. Usually they'll keep it. Oftentimes what happens, like a person dies and then in their belongings, you'll come across this like going all the way back, you know? But yeah, they're all around us. I mean, not like all around us, but there are. I know several, with, I know several within, within Seattle. Like personally, I know them. Do you know their names? Yeah, yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> that typically doesn't happen. Yeah, they typically don't, right? Uh, I've met some people who have said, like, when they find out an individual is from, like, there's one time I met, you know, somebody met a Sayyid, right? And they told them, they're like, I didn't know you were a Sayyid, man. I was making fun of you and stuff like that. And, you know? And then... <laughs> And he goes, you should tell people. You should tell people because respect is due to you. Allahu alam, I don't know. But you, oftentimes I find that many, mo, most of the Sayyids that I've come across, it just kind of like slips out. Like you kind of just find out and stuff like that. Oftentimes like what's common in, in like subcontinent is like they'll have Sayyid, Sayyid in the beginning of their name, right? Not Sayyid, Sayyid in the beginning of their name. And that typically denotes it, right? That denotes it. There's, there's people, a friend of mine, he... Uh, He's gone, he's moved to Jordan now, like for a long time. But he can't, he was a student at UW and stuff a long time ago. Uh, 
he, he found out after so long that he was from the, the progeny of the Prophet How did he find out? Because he went to Egypt to visit his family. He was Egyptian. And there was a specific, a very specific like hat that only the progeny of the Prophet had and would wear in Egypt. And he found it in his family. Right? So like, he understood. And then when he, a- when he asked the elders of his family, like the ancestors and stuff about it, then they, they said, yeah, this is, you know, this is something that has been passed down to us, this and that. Sometimes people have a seal. Sometimes people have like different things they'll have. But, <clears throat> and it's funny, you'll read all kinds of things like, how can you tell this person's from the family of the Prophet? Oh, they like, a lion won't attack them and like this and that. And Allahu Alam, right? But, uh, you know, they should at least have a shajra, right? They should at least have a family, a, a, a tree. Sometimes they don't. I've actually met people, I've actually met individuals who other ulama, like several ulama, meet them for the first time and they say like, this guy's from the family of the Prophet They'll just, they see it, whatever. They see a look on their, they see it in their face, they see some light within them. I don't know what it is, but they'll see them. And I've, there's certain individuals that I've heard this from so many different people about, right? Like one individual and several different ulama from all different parts of the world have come and looked at him and been like, this guy's, a, this guy's from the Ahlul Bayt, did you know that? You know? And I asked him, and he's like, he said, I've been told that before, but um, I, I, and I looked and I searched for my family tree, and I went back to different places, like I visited families with my name in like Medina and stuff like that, he goes, but I can't find an actual family tree, so, you know. Um, yeah, so I don't know what it should be told or it shouldn't be told, you know. And oftentimes, like, they kind of sit back too, right? They won't like, they won't take charge and they won't like, you know. Some people say like they'll kind of just keep to themselves and just kind of, like in Medina Manora, for example, they'll just kind of sit and they're waiting for the right time and then they will take, take the leadership again, you know what I mean? So like the Mahdi, when he comes, he's going to be a descendant, direct descendant from the Prophet right? right? But it is, yeah, it is, there's people in Seattle, there's people from every different ethnicity that you'll find, they're, they're around, you know. I mean, like, Hassan Radhi no, he, he, like, made it a point to have a whole bunch of children. He had, like, 35 kids or something like that because he wanted the line to spread. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, something like, it was, I don't remember, it was 27 or 35. It was, like, a lot, a lot of children, right? And then you have the Adul Bayt, right? So you have, like, Jafar Radhi the brother of Ali. His, his, his lineage, his progeny is around as well, right? And his, much of his progeny uh, matches up with the Prophet also because... Fatima radiallahu she had a daughter by the name of Zainab. And the, her progeny through, through Zainab married into the progeny with Jafar radiallahu So many people who have the Jafari name uh, also are from the family, like the direct family of the Prophet because at one point it branches to Jafar and to Zainab through Fatima and the Prophet Right? So usually when somebody is a Jafari, it's usually not because they're from Imam Jafar al-Sadiq. It could be, it could be. But it's also, it's a, a, a lot of times they're from Jafar bin, bin uh, Abi Talib, Ali Radnush brother. Yeah, usually people just find out, they kind of know, they learn about the family, they find out it slips out somewhere and then they start telling people. Yeah. yeah. I have a question, it's completely unrelated. Chapstick, well, bowstick. Don't lick it. <laughs> Fast is, fast is broken by, um, 